Happy New Year, saints. Happy New Year, sinners. It's good to be back in front of you to kick off 2021. Uh, a shout out to uh, all the staff that participated last week. Uh, and I think that we're truly blessed with some gifted communicators, don't you? And uh, some fabulous staff that have been putting everything together to make these Sunday experiences happen. Um, we're kicking off a new series. It's entitled uh, Hearing God's Voice. And I'm going to be looking at this for the next four weeks. And that's my title with little subtitles that go along with it. And then after that, in February, we're going to be talking about failing faith. And uh, the reason I've sort of put these two together in such a way is because I believe that this is a process that we actually all go through, all of us. Um, we all desire to experience something bigger in our lives, in ourselves. Most of us desire to uh, literally hear, we want to hear the voice of God and maybe even find ourselves searching for some sort of encounter in many a different way. Many times, however, once we have connected with God or felt like we've met with God, uh, there are those times where our faith fails, does it not? Um, those, those dark times, those long nights, whatever you want to call it, the list can go on. But that's what we're going to be going to next. And then in March, uh, we will be majoring in the Minor Prophets. And I'm looking forward to going to that as well. But let's get into it. Have you ever prayed for God to audibly answer you? Have you ever asked Him, God, I just need you to show up and reveal yourself to me. Have you ever found yourself negotiating with him? You know, God, if you just do, or God, if this can just happen, then I will, right? Have you ever heard the voice of God? Now, in history, there are people who have experienced God in a very deep and personal way where he's revealed himself to them and, and has even talked to them. And yet, you know, we all have read or seen stories on TV and in the news or Hollywood and where people have heard or seen God or heard God tell them to do some crazy stuff. Those are the things that make headlines, do they not? But what about you and me? We might never make headlines. I trust that we won't. But do you crave an intimate encounter with the creator of the universe himself? You see, I would venture to say that most of us do. God, if you would only, you know, fill in the blank, then I would. I think that that's actually a craving that all of us have in some respects. We just want God to show up. You know, uh, I, I want to bring you to a, a, a story that's actually the, the one that I wanted to use to kick off this life lesson, which is found in 1 Samuel chapter 1. If you go to the it comes right after the book of the Judges in the Old Testament. And at the end of the book of Judges, uh, the world has really descended into violence and chaos. <laughs> Sound familiar? Uh, and, and as that book, it concludes, uh, Judges 21 verse 25 says, There was no king in Israel, and everyone did uh, what seemed right to them. And so what we see is their selfish desires are often wrong morally, socially, personally, and now society's in a disaster. And consequently, God was silent for a time. Israel is in a very dark place. It's waiting for a light to enter. 
which is usually the, the case in the story of the people of God. And God has a plan. So in 1 Samuel, we're introduced to this man named uh, El- Elkaniah. El- I can never get the names right. Like, I study scripture and I can never get them right. Elkanah. 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 There we go. I said it. And uh, he happened to have two wives. I don't even want to go there today. I'm just going to tell you what the story says. Uh, Peninnah, uh, who bore him sons and daughters, and Hannah, who remained childless. Now, Peninnah took full advantage of this, deeply wounding Hannah's spirit by flaunting the fact that she could bear children while Hannah could not. And it's apparent that Peninnah had no grasp of the fact that God had purposely prevented Hannah from conceiving children up to this point. Although um, Elkanah sought to comfort Hannah, Hannah suffered a lot. We can only imagine. Some of you probably can even identify with Hannah here. So Elkanah used to go up every year to, from his city to, to worship and to offer sacrifices at the tabernacle, which was in Shiloh. Now, on the days that he made a sacrifice, uh, El- Elkanah would, would share a portion of his offering with his wife, uh, Peninnah, and all of her children. But then he offered a double portion of sacrificial meat for Hannah because he loved her even though she had no children. Now, I'm going to call this woman Penny, and and no reference to anybody in our community, but it's just easier for me. So Penny was jealous and and, uh, used to infuriate Hannah. So Penny would actually bug Hannah and tease her and and prod her. And this went on for year after year. And every time Hannah went to the tabernacle, um, Penny would, would continue to poke her, as she often did. And so Hannah would go in, she would go through the religious custom, and, and she would weep. And she refused to eat. And and a good husband, here you have uh, Elkanah seeing Hannah's despair. He asked her, you know, why is she crying? Why are you not eating? How can I help you, honey? And he reassures her like every guy when their wife's mad, what do you do? You reassure, I love you. I love you. This is what he's doing here, right? And this is a constant process. And so one day Hannah got up. She presented herself to the Lord. And as it so happened, the priest Eli was sitting close by and, and watches as Hannah enters in. And she's heartbroken. And she begins to pray. And she's weeping uncontrollably as she does this. So you see what's going on. A person's going into a place to, to worship and just loses it. Just loses it. And she's weeping and she's muttering and there's snot and bawling happening. And 1 Samuel uh, 1.11, Hannah pours out her grief and she asks God, don't forget me. And she requests of God, listen, God, just give me a son. And then I promise if you give me a son, this is great, right? Then I promise to give him back to you. God, if you, then I will. Look at her prayer. Eternal one, commander of heavenly armies, if all... You, only you will look down at the misery of your servant and remember me. Oh, don't forget me. Give me your servant a son, and then I promise I will devote the boy to your service as a Nazarite all the days of his life. He'll never touch wine or other strong drink, and no razor will ever cut his hair. 
Here we have this woman whose prayer was so fervent, so anguished, that she caught the attention of the priest, Eli. Now, it's interesting because the scriptures look at, <laughs> at this, and they, you know, Eli is watching what's going on, and he actually thought that Hannah was drunk. And he says to her, in the temple, as she's praying, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. <laughs> like, wow. Now listen to Hannah's response. She's just become unglued before God. Completely transparent. I'm not drunk on wine or any strong drink. I'm just a woman with a wounded spirit. How powerful is that line? And then she adds, I've been pouring out the pain in my soul before the Eternal One. Please don't consider your servant some worthless woman just because I've been speaking for so long out of worry and exasperation. I think this forced Eli to take a step back. Maybe because he was embarrassed by his remark. But then he has this moment of compassion and what comes out of his mouth is whether it was prophetic, or well, it obviously was, but or... You know, was it reactionary? He, he blesses her with the assurance that she would have a son. And, and truly, not long after this moment, Hannah becomes pregnant. And so what we see here in 1 Samuel is that the story of Samuel begins quietly. It's not this great warrior coming onto the scene, but it's, it, it begins with the prayer of a faithful woman. A faithful woman who wants to be a mother. And the underlying message of the book of Samuel is, as in many other places in the Bible, is that faith and trust in God are more important um, uh, than any trust we place in human beings. Even powerful human beings. And Hannah's prayer is for a child. Her absolute faith in God's plan, her willingness to be a part of it however she can, it resonates as the kings and warriors begin to enter the stage. But without her faith, there can be no story here. <clears throat> now, some commentators have made the comparison that the birth of Samuel was much like the birth of John the Baptist, which is a divine initiative whereby God's silence was broken. John the Baptist broke the silence you know, prior to Jesus showing up. Here we see the birth of Samuel as God breaking the silence again. Um, this time, though, in the Old Testament with the Israelites. And, of course, Hannah has this son. She names him Samuel. And that year when the family was to go to the tabernacle to offer sacrifices, Han Hannah and Samuel stayed behind because she wanted to wait until Samuel was weaned um, before she took him back to the tabernacle at Shiloh. And she waited, and eventually the day came where she and Samuel returned to Shiloh. And she made her sacrifices. But I would venture to say it was probably one of the biggest sacrifices. It was the biggest sacrifice that she's had to make. And she held true to her vow. She gave her son to be in service of God under Eli the priest. And so H Hannah goes to Shiloh. She searches out Eli, and when she finds him, she says, pardon me, my Lord, because as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child. And the Lord granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. For he'll be given over to the Lord. 
and he worshiped the Lord there. He left Samuel with the priest Eli to serve God in the tabernacle. How intense is that? And that's the close of chapter 1. But as you flip the page to chapter 2, the author now includes a psalm of praise that was composed by Hannah. You need to take some time today just to set aside 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Begin to read her praise. And what I find fascinating is that although she doesn't hear an audible voice of God, she witnesses God's work firsthand in her life. This prayer is poetry. It's a psalm of praise to God. It was divinely inspired, so much so that God had included it in the Scriptures for our edification, for our instruction. And this prayer was prompted by God's answer to Hannah's prayers for a son. And when you read it, you'll notice that it's God-centered. You know, Hannah doesn't dwell on her experience. She dwells upon God, upon His sovereignty, upon His power, upon His grace. And one thing you may notice is that in Hannah's prayer that is actually quite similar to Mary's prayer in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. And and makes me wonder whether or not Mary's words were actually influenced here by Hannah's, what we would call, psalm or prayer. And so God heard Hannah's prayer. As a matter of fact, he didn't give her just one child, but several, as we find out later on. And from her experience, Hannah could see and rejoice in the sovereignty of God. She could see that God is a God who elevates the humble, elevates the broken, who humbles the powerful and the proud. And what God has done for her, she knew God would do for others. So you got to look at this woman and go, man, what faith she had. And so she praised this psalm. She saw God's hand in her life and knew that it was just a sample of God's work amongst all of his people. I wonder if Hannah ever took time to take a step back and to see the reason for her suffering. That would be an interesting concept that we'll be approaching uh, in February. See, in her childless days when Penny was constantly rubbing salt in her wounds, Hannah could only trust God that God would somehow cause her circumstances to turn out for the good, even though she was in a mess. And, And so they did. And in time, Hannah was so eager for a son that she vowed that she would dedicate this boy to God, that she would literally give him up. And, and, and I can't help but think how difficult it was for Hannah to literally place Samuel into the hands of Eli, especially because of what we know of the sons of Eli and Eli himself. See, Eli's sons were a couple of sleazy priests But Hannah did know that God had a very special purpose for Samuel. And he had to be raised by Eli. He had to grow up in the house of the Lord so that he could be Eli's replacement. And it's only that when we look back that we can see how God used Hannah and her suffering for her good and for his glory. As I said earlier, Eli's sons were exceedingly wicked. Scripture says that they treated the Lord's offering with contempt. 
And not only did they sin in regard to the offerings, they also sinned by having sexual relationship with the young women who worked at the entrance of the tent of meeting. <laughs> Scripture says that Eli was, was getting old and tired and that he would verbally chastise his sons, but he never followed through on them. And at the, the very least, when you think about it, when it came to Old Testament law, Eli should have dismissed his sons from their duties and, and by Old Testament law, he should have actually stoned them. And yet, at the same time, when all this was going on, the boy Samuel grew tall and wise in the ways of the Lord, in the favor with God and the people he served. Scripture tells us that the days were numbered for Eli and his sons because of how they disrespected the office in which they served and the God of whom they served. And all that to say is that uh, this is where we pick up our story. This is where we kick off our series. and We need to take a look at this young man, and we don't know his age for certain, but we guess that he's anywhere between 11 and 12 years of age. We see that his path of life have been directed for him since his birth, even before his birth. And we also know that his name means a God has heard. And so Samuel lived in the tabernacle, not the temple. Now you probably picked up how come they're not going to temple. Jerry's always saying temple. This is tabernacle. Now remember, this is before the, the, the temple that Solomon built in, in the Old Testament. This is the tabernacle. The tabernacle was, was like the tent. It was still the dwelling place of God, but it was more tent-like. And at this point, it was in Shiloh. Uh, so we're, we're talking pre-Solomon days, pre uh, uh, you know, the landmark temple in Jerusalem. This is all before that. And what we know, again, that tabernacle is the dwelling place of the Lord. We know that Samuel received a family visit every year from mom and dad. It also included in that visit was a care package uh, where uh, the scripture says each year mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. So here you got, the guy got a care package every year from mom and dad. And so we see this young boy's life has been directed from the day of his birth, but at, at, uh, at a time was coming when he would need to make a decision. Would he follow evil, the evil practices of the day in which he lived? Would he follow what the sons of uh, Eli are doing? Or would he follow God? Pick up the story for Samuel chapter 3. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the words of the Lord was rare. There were not very many visions. Uh, you have to ask the question, why was the word of the Lord rare? Probably because of the hardness of the heart of the people of Israel. And I would have to go so far as to say it's probably because of the corruption of the priesthood. You know, Eli's sons were priests. They represented God. And these were miserable guys. They were sexual perverts. They were crooks. They had a dis complete disregard for the things of God, and they, you know, they, they put all this offering to God in contempt. Their spiritual life affected everything else in the nation. But in spite of that, God did, and God will, and God still does speak and guide when his people seek him, and when his ministers seek to serve him diligently. The scriptures go on to say that one night, Eli whose eyes were becoming so weak that they could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. So again, time of day was early in the morning. It's before sunrise. 
the inner sanctuary of the tabernacle or the tent of meeting is divided into two areas, the holy place and the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. Samuel was probably sleeping in the holy place and the lamp of God had not gone out yet. So the lamp of God would have to be lit each night at sundown. It would burn throughout the night until after sunrise. And Samuel was probably sleeping there uh, in order to tend to the lamp. That was probably his responsibility. And, you know, whatever the cause was, Samuel was not yet involved in the business of the day. And then we pick it up. It says, Then the Lord called Samuel. Simply by Samuel's response, it was the audible voice of God calling him. And Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and he said, here I am, you call me. <laughs> but Eli said, you got to remember, this is happening early in the morning. I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. You ever have those things where you thought you heard something? I didn't say anything. What are you talking about? So I'm pretty sure Samuel's thinking, well, that's kind of weird. And again, the Lord calls Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you call me. <laughs> Eli, my son, I did not call. Go back and lie down. How many parents have said that to our kids who have gone out of bed? Go to bed. Now pay attention to what the scripture says next. Now Samuel did not know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Fascinating. So here is Samuel obedient, young, young man, serving God wonderfully in the temple, right? Yet he hasn't given his heart to the Lord. He hasn't surrendered. He hasn't had that experience. And so, you know, we bring it up to today's day and age. Even children raised in the most godly home uh, must be converted by the Spirit of God. Every, each kid needs to make their faith their own, as I've said over and over again. And this is what we have here. And now what we see beautifully is Samuel is now hearing God speak to his heart. And we read uh, uh, again in verse 8, it says, A third time the Lord called. I find that very interesting because when speaking to us, God almost always confirms his word again and again. And it's generally wrong to do something dramatic in a response to a, a single inner voice that we think is from God. If God is speaking to us, he will confirm. He'll often do it in a variety of ways, but I'll get to that. Let's continue in the Scripture. So the third time the Lord called, he says, Samuel. <laughs> Samuel got up, went to Eli. He said, here I am, you called me. <laughs> and then Eli has an aha moment. He realized that it was God that was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went, laid down in his place. Now look what the scriptures say. I find this fascinating. The Lord came and stood there, calling as other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. As believers, I need to say this. That we must hear from God. The preacher may speak. The parents may speak. 
Our friends may speak. Our teachers may speak. People on the radio, people on television, movies, music, whatever, that's all fine. But their voices mean nothing for eternity unless God is speaking through them. Samuel says, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. I think that's just a beautiful way for us to respond to God's message. It isn't that God does not know where we are before we tell him, but it tells God and it reminds us where we are simply before him as servants, asking him what he wants us to do. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. I think that's pretty impressive, you know, especially coming from this young guy in, in very impressive company. This is his response to God. There are others in scriptures who said, here I am, when the Lord spoke to them. We have Abraham in Genesis, Jacob in Genesis, Moses in Exodus, Isaiah in Isaiah, Ananias in Acts. How does God speak? How did he speak to Samuel? You know, some people want to wait for God to speak in an audible voice. And others, and I'd venture, and I have to carefully say this, but many of them are mentally ill and they believe that they hear God speaking in an audible voice all the time. Most people believe God speaks to them by an inner voice. By the thoughts, by the feelings which come into our hearts, which come into our heads, which one believes are prompted actually by the Holy Spirit. But this hearing from God is an uncertain business. See, God is not the only source of our thoughts and feelings coming into our hearts and heads. Thoughts or feelings, good or bad, they can come from ourselves. They can come from Satan. Peter in Matthew 16, at one moment he's speaking from God. At the next moment, you know, it's like he's speaking directly from the devil. And because of all of this is a little uncertain, I have three things that we need to keep in mind when trying to determine if we're hearing the voice of God. First thing, we always have to judge what we think God may be telling us by what he has certainly told us in his word, the scriptures, the Bible. God will never contradict his eternal word. <coughs> so when somebody says, well, God told me to go kill someone, you know, or whatever other crazy stuff we have seen or read or heard, we know that that in itself is contradicting Scripture, and that is not of God. And I can give you thousands of other examples, but I think you get the point. Second, we should always be humble when it comes to the idea that God is speaking to us. We have to become humble. We can never trust our own ability to hear from God by this, this inner voice accurately. In other words, I put up a lot of yellow flags here because it's really easy for us to add something to what God has said or to stop listening or to misapply what he has said or to think that it was God when it was really ourselves or something or someone else. I think it's actually far better for us to say and to think and, and rephrase it as opposed to saying, hey, God told me. I would rather hear people actually say this because I hate it when they play the God card. I think the Lord told me. 
You know, I thank God. Do you hear that little bit of hesitancy, that little bit of unsureness, but still there's that aspect of this could be? And then to talk and to think as, you know, if you hear God perfectly, I think what happens, the problem with that, when somebody playing the God card, you know, God told me, this actually leads to pride. And yet here we're supposed to walk humbly. Walk humbly when it comes to the idea of God speaking to us. And finally, I don't, I don't think anybody should feel unspiritual because they think that God doesn't speak to them in, in the way that he speaks to other people. Because we have all those people in our lives, right? Um, you know, God's always, oh, God spoke, God said, oh, God, you, you have these conversations. And I'm not saying he's not. But there's some of us who go, I, that's not me. You know, he seems to be speaking to everybody else. How come he's not speaking to me? Well, I'll say this. If you really want God to speak to you and to speak to you the best way is for you to get into his word, for you to get into scripture, for you to get into the Bible. But you know why? Because we know that he has spoken there. And as you begin to read the words, they begin to jump off the page. They begin to penetrate our minds. They begin to penetrate our hearts. They begin to penetrate our lives. And you cannot overestimate the importance of reading the scriptures to hear the voice and the heart of God. This is something, as your pastor, I have to say this, that we should be implementing daily in our lives. Are you reading? However, there are times where the voice of God can be drowned out by the activities in our lives. Think about it. The voice of God gets drowned out when your phone rings, especially if your Bible is your phone. The voice of God can get drowned out when our emotions are upset. The voice of God can get drowned out when we're tempted to sin. The voice of God can be drowned out when someone or something changes or affects our life. Or on the other hand, we can hear the voice of God in spite of whatever the world is throwing at us. You can hear the voice of God even when we're at work and focused on a project. The voice of God could be heard when our phone rings. The voice of God could be heard even when our emotions become upset. The voice of God can be heard even when we are tempted to sin, and the voice of God can be heard even when somebody changes something or something affects our life. What makes a difference? I wonder if we've made the decisions and taken the actions so that we are tuned to hear God's voice. Have we taken the time to let God condition our hearts so that we are open to his voice? Have we taken the time to hear his voice through the scriptures and allow him to speak to us through the scripture that day? Have we set time aside to listen to him during the day? What do you think that Jesus <laughs> would do? You know, WWJD. You would think that God the Son, who came in the form of a human, would have this direct connection with God the Father, therefore have no need of prayer or 
of hearing the Father's voice. But it's interesting because when you look at Luke 5.16, Jesus withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke 6, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray. He spent the night praying to God. And then Paul encourages us in 1 Thessalonians that we should pray continually. So, think about it. I want to hear God's voice. So what does this say in our part of the communication? I think we need to be the explorer, explorers. And, and this doesn't discontinue the idea that, that God... Uh, will approach us. But Scripture does say, seek and you will find. You know, why is it that two people in the middle of the same set of circumstances, one person hears God and the other one doesn't? Is it, is it because that one person knows God's voice and talks with him on a regular basis and the other person doesn't know God's voice and, and their only attempts of communication is only when they're in trouble? Oh, God, help. You know, how much time do we, in our fast-paced, technological-driven North American society, do we as Christians put in our relationship with God? So if hearing the voice of God is a goal in our lives, can we ever find a place in this fast-paced world to do that? Which really actually means, when it comes right down to it, we need to examine our life, and maybe this time of red is, is good for us. Being in, you know, forced to stay at home, being, you know, the restrictions are tightened up. Maybe, maybe th- this is good for us. Now, don't get me wrong, I hate every minute of it. I'm just asking the question. Are we willing to get up earlier so that we could spend some time listening to the voice of God? Are we willing to put the phone down, to turn off the TV or the computer, or to unplug the iPad just long enough to spend some uninterrupted time with God? Are we willing to cut our evenings a little bit shorter so that we could stay awake? Um, or cut our evenings shorter to go to bed so that we could wake up earlier to meet with God? Are we willing to read more Scripture? You know, when we're saying we're just so busy, that's actually one phrase I haven't heard in almost a year. I'm so busy. Busy, busy, busy. You know, is that of reality or necessity? I think... Or is it just due to our choices? And I think our choices have been limited over this past eight, nine months. And maybe setting time aside for spiritual growth and growing in our relationship with God also requires that we learn to recognize the voice of God. Don't you wonder what God's voice sounded like those first three times he called to Samuel's name? And, and yet Samuel thought it was Eli. You know, did did the voice of the Lord really sound similar to Eli's voice? Or was it just that Samuel had never heard someone calling his name in the early hours of the dawn besides Eli? Like, that would be the only one calling him. But either way, it, it took a while before Samuel recognized the voice of God and responded directly to him. I think in the same way, it may take some time for us to be able to discern the voice of God during our growth and our maturity as Christians. I remember being uh, years years ago. I was I, I was asked, "How do you know if it's God speaking to me, or just some part of my own desires, or if it's just my own imagination?" And I, that question is not just years ago. That question is almost constant. Hence our series. But I like the way that somebody else put it. This is how they described it. 
Imagine that you're hired to open up an office in the north of Churchill. Your boss gives you a high-tech looking two-way radio, a policy procedure manual, and tells you that you're going to receive your instructions once you arrive, so you go off you go. Upon your ar arrival, you hear your boss's voice over the radio and saying, I'm going to communicate to you through this radio, but take note, our competitors, our enemies, also have access to the very same channel. They will try to impersonate my voice with false messages to thwart our purposes. You know, don't panic. Then, uh, you know, maybe you get a little bit uptight. You know, how, how am I going to know if this is you or if this is the enemy then giving the, the instructions? Well, very simple. Your boss comes back on the radio and he says for three ways. First, consider the situation. Check every message supposedly from me against the policy and procedure manual. So you have a manual and you have all the messages. Check every message with the policy and procedure manual because your boss wrote the manual. He's not likely to ask you to violate the manual. So if I'm not talking, don't focus on the noise, pretending that I am. If I'm not speaking, let the manual be your guide. Don't let any impersonating voice mislead you or your own overactive imagination. Second, since the manual doesn't cover every situation, you'll have to get to know my voice. I know this will take time, and so I'm not likely to ask you to do anything radical until we both have some low-risk success under our belts. Remember, I understand the situation perfectly, so I'll go slow at first. A time will come when I'll be able to tell you to do the wildest things, and you'll know it's me. And, and so in the short term, you must be trained uh, through low-risk experience. Makes sense. Thirdly, over time. My overall purpose for your work will begin to come into focus. You'll begin to see the grand strategy in the policy and procedure manual and the overall pattern of my true instructions. When this happens, you will know instantly what you hear through your, your handset is of me or if it's just your imagination or the enemy giving you misinformation. And false information will begin to appear silly to you then. So take heart, now get to work. I think there's some great guidelines there. You check every idea what you think is from God against the scriptures. God doesn't contradict himself. And as we get into the scriptures, as we start checking those ideas, as the familiarity with God's word grows and how it's, it's synchronized with his voice, you begin to hear the voice of God coming through the scriptures. And as we begin, begin to grow in the understanding of God's overall purpose and, um, and, and ourselves, we grow in this. His instructions begins to make sense and false instructions actually become silly to us. I think it's very possible for us to know God's voice. Jesus himself said in John 10, 27, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Rick Warren said, we often miss hearing God's voice simply because we aren't paying attention. And that's true. Let me also say that we often miss hearing God's voice simply because there are other things that are occupying our minds. And when our minds are fully occupied with other things, we could not hear His voice or anybody else's for that matter. And so I want to encourage you to hear God's voice loud and clear. God 
is speaking, are you listening? Back to 1 Samuel. We read, and Samuel heard. And this is how the story ends. It is, and the Lord said to Samuel, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Ouch. Samuel lay down until morning, and then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. But Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son, Samuel, answered, here am I. (laughs) What was it he said to you, Eli asked? Don't hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide anything from me that he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Samuel delivers the news. Then Eli said, He's the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. And the Lord was with Samuel as he grew. And he let none of the Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh. And there he revealed himself to Samuel through how? His word. So when Eli hears uh, God's message to Samuel, without question, it's a message that surely breaks his heart. He knows his his sons have dishonored God and deserve punishment. His willingness to honor God's message here is truly a measure of his faith when you think about it. This is one of the many places in the book of Samuel where we can recognize the justice of God's plan and still share some sorrow with those who will suffer because of it. God spoke and Samuel listened. And if you read further on, he obeys. Hearing and obeying is more than just being important, a better question would be, is hearing and obeying the voice of God given an important place in the makeup of your life? Is it given a place of utmost importance or is it given a place of mediocrity? See, Samuel, just like each of us, was faced with a decision that would impact the rest of his life. And see, unfortunately, some people don't listen at all. Some people don't realize that God is speaking because they don't understand the delivery method. Some people don't think God is speaking because they can't hear for whatever reason or they're just simply too busy. They're just too distracted with their own life or they just think like the man did with his wife that the, the you know, maybe, uh, uh, maybe there's not a problem in the marriage. Maybe there's a problem with God. Like, When we submit to the will of God, then we will hear the voice of God. When we focus on God, when we settle down, when we stop letting life's distractions block us, then we will hear from God. You know, too often we go to God with a very long list of things we covet in our lives and hope that God will respond like a genie in a bottle, right? And grant our every wish. You know, God is not our genie, but our creator. And as such, only offers what will be good and draw us nearer to him. Romans 8, 28. 
The relationship between God and us is not established based on finding commonality, but based on us submitting to his authority to rule our lives. And so if we want to hear God's voice, then we must become like Samuel. And with solemn silence of mind, total submission of heart, say, here I am, your servant is listening. Speak, Lord. So what are some key takeaways I want you to have this morning? Number one, understand that God desires to speak to us. God didn't just create the world to, and walk away. God desires to speak to us. He didn't have a relationship with us. God has always taken the initiative in speaking to man. We just need to learn to listen. Number two, we don't always hear very well. What? Right. Sometimes we're like Samuel. We don't hear very well, but, but, and, and we need instruction. You know, Samuel didn't recognize God's voice until Eli explained it to him. And sometimes we're like Eli. You know, we do not hear from God because we are spiritually sluggish. But remember, it took Eli three times to figure out what was going on. But sometimes we're like Eli's sons, and we don't hear from God because we have closed our ears to God's word, and, and we're disobedient. And so you can't expect to hear from God when you are covering up your ears. Number three, God speaks to us primarily through his word. You know, I I have to say this. God rarely speaks directly to people. Even in the Bible, God rarely spoke directly to individuals. Samuel was one of the exceptions. He's not the rule. Most people in the Bible receive God's word through a prophet which was verified by God. Today, we primarily receive God's word through the Bible, which is God's written word through men, and that that comes to us. We need to come to God's word with reverence, with uh, expectation, saying, saying like Samuel when we open it up, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening, and then let God apply the word to our hearts and let him apply it to our minds. Number four, God is patient with us. Remember that. I love the way that God keeps coming back to Samuel. Four times. <clears throat> Four times God calls Samuel's name before Samuel actually gets it. So God is remarkably loving and patient. And I think if you approach the Bible with a sincere and listening heart, God will speak to you through his word. You may not get it the first time, but keep coming back. Reread it over and over again. And like maybe today you don't have a relationship with Jesus. I need to say that he did die on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins and mine so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be restored to this right relationship with God. And if you would like to talk further or to explore that further, I would just simply invite you to contact us either at uh, the 226-7254 number or info at Soul Sanctuary, and somebody would be there to gladly talk to you to guide you in this purpose, process. And number five, God has spoken to us through Jesus. See, the book of Hebrews says that in the past, God spoke to our forefathers, to the prophets at many times in his various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Do you want to know who God is? Look at Jesus. All the Old Testament prophets looked forward to Christ. All the scriptures are fulfilled in Jesus. When God sent Jesus, it was as if he said, you know, can you hear me now? Can, can, can you hear me now? <laughs> Good. God has never stopped speaking to us, people. The Bible is how he speaks to us mostly today. 
However, he will speak directly to your heart if we are ready to listen and open up the door of our hearts and he'll come in and he'll talk with us. God is speaking. Are you listening? In ancient times, the one who blessed extended his hands for a blessing. Those receiving blessings did likewise. If you want a blessing, just put it up and here it is. Go now. Listen for the voice of the Lord and follow wherever it leads. Don't be dominated by anything. Allow no room within yourselves for deceit, but offer yourselves as a temple for the Holy Spirit. And may God be with you and speak through you. And may Christ Jesus be the one with you and raise you to life. And may the Holy Spirit dwell within you and make you holy. Go in peace, love, and serve the Lord and live the church. Be blessed. We'll see you next week.